yeah, it was it was great times. I even rapped. Uh, this is like something I don't even know if you know, Robert, but I, oh. I actually rap. But like, it's all clean rap. It's not like you know bad stuff. Um, and it's all about God, pretty much. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm Robert, and normally we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite craft beer. So why don't you pour, pour yourself a pint and listen in for the next little while as we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a line. Like I just said, Normally, we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beer. But unfortunately, as I've been saying episode in and episode out, I still seem to be flying somewhat solo. I can say that Dennis really, really wanted to be a part of this episode of the Pints and Pews podcast and texted me only this afternoon to say that he just couldn't make it. So he's close. He's also very close to making his fabled return to the podcast. It would be great still if you could leave a quick prayer comment or message via the Facebook page for Dennis and I'll make sure that it gets to him because I know for a fact that the prayers all have been saying for him have been sustaining him throughout this illness. Now just before I introduce this episode's guest I did want to give a quick shout out to the folks over at the Catholic Beer Drinkers group on Facebook. Really wanted to say thanks for your support and the positive and constructive feedback that's come our way about the podcast through the Catholic Beer Drinkers Facebook group. My only question now for the the group is, you know, how can we get some of that tasty looking American craft beer up here in Canada? That would be really nice. So again, wanting to keep it as two guys talking the Catholic faith over a couple of our favorite craft beers, I want to introduce this episode's guest, Father Gregory Merkley. Now, Father Gregory is a diocesan priest with the Diocese of Hamilton up here in Ontario, Canada. He is a graduate of St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto and was ordained on May the 4th, 2019. In the two and a half years since his ordination, Father Gregory has been an associate pastor at St. Anne's Parish in Ancaster, St. Joseph's in Guelph, and is currently associate pastor at St. Mary of the Assumption and the Missions, based out of Owen Sound. As a former practical atheist and now an ordained priest of the Roman Catholic Church, Father Gregory is passionate about spreading the word of God, as well as the sacred traditions of the Catholic Church that Christ founded on the rock of St. Peter. He does so through his ministry to his parish flock, his website at fathermerkley.com, that's F-R-M-E-R-K-L-E-Y.com, and speaking at events such as Theology on Tap. And finally, and I'd say the least important, is by taking the time out of his busy schedule to come and sit down and chat with us here at the Pints and Pews podcast. Father Gregory, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Robert. It's great to be here. It's it's amazing to have you. Uh, it's so nice to chat again, Father. Uh, I think the last time that we spoke face-to-face, I mean, we've connected a few times through the Facebook world and the internet world uh, and Twitter, but I think the, the last time we spoke face-to-face was probably a couple of years ago. You was just before your ordination. 
And you were still a transitional deacon. And my wife and I were at one of the lay formation sessions on Saturday at St. Augustine's. And we crossed paths in the, the hallway just outside the cafeteria, kind of between, between mass and lunch. And for me, uh, people always look at me funny when I say to them, yeah, I'm taking my wife out on a date for the weekend. We're going to the seminary, right? And the, the, the reaction is kind of a, a raised eyebrow. Um, well, one of the things I, I always noticed when we would go to that would be at lunchtime, they would kind of keep the laity away from the seminarians. And I don't know if they were trying to protect you guys from us or us from you guys, <laughs> right? But always one of our, our favorite uh, events to go to, and we hope that soon they'll, they'll be starting back up again. Number one, the, the talks that are put on by the profs there, but mass in the seminary chapel is absolutely amazing, especially when the guys are singing the chant. Mm-hmm. Now, were, were you ever a part of the school at the seminary? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I really enjoyed, uh, I actually enjoy singing. I enjoy chanting. So I'm a, since my name is Gregory, it's kind of fitting because, uh, you know, good old Gregorian chant. I'm a big fan. Well, excellent. Well, I won't sing for you. I've been told not to sing. <laughs> right. So that, that's why I'm a lector at mass. I've been told not, not, not to sing. But again, we all have different gifts. Except the, the, the body of Christ, we're all meant to complement each other. So <laughs> that's right. I'm sure you're not that bad, bro. Uh, no, it's, it is that bad. So. <laughs> But we're, we're not here to, to speak about uh, my non-singing prowess. What are you drinking with us this evening, Father? Well, so I knew I needed a drink for today's session. So I went to the LCBO today and I had no plans of what to get because I don't drink much. Uh, you know, so I, I looked around and I saw this, this interesting uh, beer called Tatra. And it caught my eye uh, because this dude on the cover looks a whole lot like Indiana Jones. And I was, I was like, what is the story behind this beer? And I was like, I don't know what the story is. I don't know anything about this beer, but I'm going to try it just because this guy looks like Indiana Jones. So I got Tatra and then I looked it up because I wanted to be able to tell you a little bit more than just that. And uh, apparently it is a Polish lager. And apparently it's kind of been around for a while. And uh, this is, as it's proudly saying on the cover, it's got the original recipe. And uh, I went on the LCBO website and they described the beer like this. I don't want to give you too much information, but in case you guys are curious, uh, it says clear, medium gold, aromas of cereal, caramel, citrus, and buttered biscuit. On the palate, it is gentle and light slash medium bodied with flavors of sweet malt, citrus, and light hops. There's my radio attempt in like- I, I was going to say, you could do their radio pub publicity for them. There and, we go. Uh, no, the, and the, the Tatra beer, uh, I was going to say, I think it's Polish. And as soon as you held up the canteen, I was like, that's Indiana Jones on there. <laughs> I know, I- Right. Maybe father's got the last arc on his bookshelf well, behind him. I can't tell <laughs> so, you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Maybe we can, uh, I'll ask, we have a listener, his name is Robert Lichner, and he's in the West End of Toronto, and there was one time, one of our earliest episodes, Dennis was having a Polish beer, and we so mangled the pronunciation of that 
year that one of our listeners had to come by the Facebook page and, and straighten <laughs> us out, right? So Robert, if you're still listening to the podcast, if you can come on the Facebook page and let us know who is the guy on the Tatra beer label, uh, Father Gregory and I would dearly love to know who this uh, Indiana Jones, no, who is Indiana Jones the imposter of? <laughs> right because obviously indiana jones was based off of the guy on the, the tatra beer label so while you're opening up that father i'm going to to share this week i've had this beer in the fridge for it seems like forever and a day just waiting for a podcast to, to open it it's called the clark is in session ipa and it's out of thorn thornberry ontario so a, a small town in ontario uh, their little craft brewery uh, my sister would say my picture's on the label because there's a picture of a pig there on the, on the label. So my sister <laughs> oh, would say that that's me. That's um, he's, you know, he's done up more like a, a 19th century uh, bourgeois country gentleman with the silk scarf uh, on there. And the tasting notes for the, the Clark is in session IPA is that it's golden and unfiltered. So golden, like the, the Tatra. Mm -hmm. I should do that with my radio voice. Mm -hmm. Golden and unfiltered. This session IPA is hop forward with a very dry finish. It features exciting aromas of citrus, melon, and tropical fruit, complemented with a pleasant hoppiness on the palate with notes of spicy tangerine zest and a delicate touch of pine. So I hope it doesn't taste like pine salt. <laughs> So this is actually the first time I've tried this. I have been looking forward to it. I do like the, the session IPAs and their, their, their crispness. So why don't we open up and pour? All right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking here. Yeah, no, very nice pale golden looking IPA here. A little bit hazy, the unfilteredness, and then a nice foam at the top there so very beautiful and it looks like you got a better pour than i did i got a little bit too much foam at, at the top there but before before we have our first sip father we do have a, an unwritten rule here on the pints and pews podcast that we say grace before beer and i would be remiss to say that prayer myself when we do have an ordained minister of the church here who could lead us in this prayer which does come from the book of of roman rituals so if you could please for us, Father. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant, through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Cheers, Father. Cheers. As I put it up to the camera Same. here. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, very nice. Very nice. Ooh. Does it meet up to what it says on the label for you? Well, that label was so complicated, I already forgot all the details <laughs> of it. I'm not, I'm not uh, as you might quickly detect, a uh, connoisseur of fine beverages. Um, so to be honest, I think 
I tend to be like, hey, that's good to like pretty much any beer. So, but uh, this is really nice. I'm really enjoying it. I've never had it. And uh, it's got this nice gentle sweetness, this nice flavor. It's not too strong, but it's got some body and it's nice. So while you're filling in the, the content of the podcast, I'm going to go run out and get myself a, a couple of tins then. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and, and the Clark is in session IPA, lives up to the IPA uh, standard. It's crisp and it's hoppy, uh, a little bit on the sour side. I always say it's a nice summertime beer and we are sliding out of summer. We had a couple of beautiful days the last couple of days that were still summer-like. And so it's, it's nice just to have that crisp uh, beer. Also, too, uh, it's Friday. So it was fish and chip Friday in our house. So the fish and chips are sitting a little bit heavier than normal. So instead of going for something, a, a heavy beer, I thought, you know, the, the nice, nice, light, crisp IPA uh, would be the way to, to go this evening. And you know, you're saying you're not a, a connoisseur of the, the fine beers. You know, neither am I. I. I enjoy a beer, but I'm not one to, you know, put my nose in it and say it has this room or that room or this on the fence. Either I like it or I don't like it. Right. And the, the podcast has offered the opportunity to try a few different beers to, you know, kind of expand the range of, of what I drink. Mm, right on. Now, is there a, a craft beer movement? You're up in Owen sound. So that's a, a part of the province I've never been to. So <clears throat> yeah, I'd never been here really either until I moved up here at the end of June. And uh, and this is just uh, the end of October, pretty much as we're recording. So it's new to me. So and uh, so I did a little research because I wanted to be able to answer this question. And uh, I found out that there are some local breweries that are here in Owen Sound. And uh, in particular, there is oh, where did it go? There is uh, something called, I think it's called Mudtown. Um, anyways, so there's some there's some stuff up here, and uh, I have never tried it. It's probably <laughs> not the most. It's not the most. Yeah, it is Mudtown Station Brewery and Restaurant. It sounds like it'd be nice, but I have not been there. So you, you you're not selling that as well as you were selling the Tatra. I, I have to. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let's just record that again. Yeah. Yeah, Mudtown Station Brewery. Uh, uh, now. Over your, your time as a seminarian and transitional deacon and now as a, a pastor, and you, you've, this is your third parish that you've been in, albeit you, know, you were ordained in May 2019, less than a year later, the wheels kind of fell off the world, as it seems, and, and parish life was turned upside down. But in your experience all the way along the line, have you found that there is uh, kind of a link between fellowship. You know, it doesn't always have to be with the beer and faith formation, that, that community aspect. I think there is. Um, I think that's always the goal, you know, as well, you know, no matter where you're at, when you come to the church, there's something that's intrinsically part of our human nature that craves community, that craves relationship. And so, mm -hmm there's something so satisfying about sharing those relationships with brothers and sisters in the church that have similar views, similar uh, goals and desires. And so I definitely think that fellowship and faith go so well together. And, 
I mean, you can't really sustain a, a faith life on your own. You need brothers and sisters that help you when you're down and that you help when they're down and people to ask questions to, people to bounce ideas off of, people to pray with, like good people who can explain the faith to you uh, and just people to hang out with. Um, that's something very good. The Lord, uh, you know, he, he definitely enjoyed spending time with people. And so I think they are very connected. And just your saying that reminds me, um, as we'd said, we had met at a, a Servian Ministries event. So one of the events a good friend of ours, David Gilbert, would put on in Toronto. Ooh. And I can't remember which, which one it was, who, who the speakers were. It was one of the men's events. And I was kind of at the, the table for helping facilitate the men's groups. But the, the men's group, the band of Christian brothers that he's put together and we help facilitate in the parish, they take from, uh, from the book of Proverbs, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the countenance of another friend. Mm-hmm. And so like you're saying, that communal aspect of the faith is so very important. And you've had experiences with that too, um, kind of being at the forefront and being that iron that was sharpening other iron when you've been involved in the, the Theology on Tap events. How did you find those experiences? Mm, well, very enjoyable. Theology on Tap is always a great time, you know, when you have, I mean, I just remember the days of it being normal to hang out in restaurants and like have good conversations with tons of people. And, um, but I, yeah, I have such fond memories of those times where you'd have a good speaker on some interesting topic and you meet new friends, you're enjoying food and uh, drink together and sharing. And, and I had the privilege to attend just as a listener several times in the GTA. I went to quite a few, but also I, I gave a talk on my story, kind of how I became a priest in Guelph. And I gave another one in Scarborough and, um, yeah, it was, it was great times. I even rapped. Uh, this is like something I don't even know if you know, Robert, but I, oh. I actually rap, but like, it's all clean rap. It's not like, you know, bad stuff. Um, and it's all about God pretty much. So anyways, I rapped for them in Scarborough too. They thought it was pretty fun. So maybe later in the podcast, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. So that'll just let you kind of start formulating right, that in the, in the back. Start brewing up something here. Yeah. Or we'll wait, you know, for the, you know, Dennis says, because he, he really wanted to be here because uh dennis knows you as well you you've met dennis a few times as well um and he said we have to have father gregory back on when i'm feeling better so you know maybe save the rap for when dennis comes right great so we've got that because that was another moment and again that notion of iron sharpening iron uh another time when our paths crossed and dennis the the usual co-host here was taking courses at the seminary and I think you guys took a couple courses together as well. I know we had at least one. Maybe I can't remember because, you know, it feels like a lifetime away already. Yeah. <laughs> Once you become a priest, I mean, um, man, it's just like so much happens every day. And yeah. um, But I know we had at least an online class. And I think we had uh, maybe another one in person as well. Yeah. And so part of that relationship building that, you know, with you and Dennis, he actually tendered an invitation and there was yourself and a couple of the other guys as seminarians came out to the school that we teach at to come and visit with the kids and i think that's absolutely amazing that you guys would do that i the kids really need to hear those stories they need to meet you guys who are our future our future priests so 
hopefully they didn't scare you too much. No, they didn't scare me. It was so, I hope, I don't think any of us scared anyone. So it was was the teachers that scared you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) no, they were cool. I mean, the teachers I met anyways, it seemed pretty cool. They were having us in there. It's already some points in their favor. (laughs) Yeah. No, so no, that was absolutely fantastic to, to have you by. Oh yeah. The kids are great. You know, they have such great questions. I love visiting high schools because they, they're so curious. They, and they really ask the tough questions. They don't hold back. Like at first, if they're a little shy, they might not ask the tough questions, but once they realize you're okay with it, I love one of these young people who just are really genuinely wanting to understand, ask these questions. I get so excited because I used to be just like that and also having the exact same questions. And no, I, I see that as well as a teacher. Like there's this thirst in the youth to know the truth. There's a thirst to, to know our faith. And I think it's amazing. Again, someone like yourself coming in as a seminarian, as a deacon, and even now as a, you know, an assistant or associate pastor, but as a, a younger priest, right? and we're not going to start swapping birth dates, but um, I know it's more beneficial to the kids. They get more out of it hearing from someone that they can relate to a little bit more closely in age and who has just come through asking all of those questions than the guy that's wearing a shirt and tie at the front of the class that reminds them of their grandfather. <laughs> right. And I get that. And I, and I realize that, and there's different roles. I was, as we were saying earlier, the, you know, the different parts of the mystical body of Christ. And I really encourage you know, once you're able to, to get in and visit, I know in our schools, we try to get the priests in. We say that, you know, the priests are essential workers, so right. they should be able to come into the schools. Uh, but especially the, the younger guys to, to get in there with the kids. Yeah, for sure. I think it is good to milk the youth while yeah. we've got it. Let's, let's use it. Yeah, no, for sure. Because yeah, once it's gone, it's gone. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of our friend Dennis, this is kind of the the point in the conversation where I always say Dennis likes to unleash his inner Marcus Grodi. And he says, you know, we're just going to step out of the way and we're going to let Father Gregory share his story because, you know, we've only known each other over the, the space of maybe three or four years. And you shared that you said you've you've shared your story with the theology on tap, and I love the the title of your theology on tap talk. You know how a practical atheist became a Catholic priest. Right? It, it seems the media or the world wants to say to us, practical Catholics are becoming atheists, as opposed to the other direction. Yeah, exactly. So, what is the Father Gregory story? Well, sit back and relax and take a pint for the big story. Okay, there's my fun time using my radio voice. And, um, and I've got my pint for the story, so there we go. go, go for gonna, it. I'm going to charge up here, too. Mm. Well, that's good. That Indiana Jones guy did pretty good. So, yeah, essentially, uh, I didn't grow up very faithful. You know, why is the title uh, Practical Atheist to Catholic Priest? I always like to say, I lived my life as an atheist, and that's what a practical atheist is. I just lived like there was no God. But I also have to say practical atheist because otherwise I, uh, I, 
I kind of lose the fact that there was a part of me deep down that, that I knew I had this interest in God. Like I thought there was hopefully a God, probably maybe a God. <laughs> there was, I didn't even know, but there was something there that uh, I wasn't like, you know, you hear some atheists that are kind of, they're so rigidly atheist. I, I never hit that level, um, but I was, I was living that way in a sense. So let's take you back to 1988 when I was born and um, there's not a whole lot of the story to say other than came into the world and uh, grew up in a, a family that wasn't very Catholic uh, practicing. You know, we went occasionally to church really Christmas and Easter. And then uh, we had a little spurt where my mom and I went during my first Holy communion time, but you know, it really wasn't something big. And, and you know, uh, my friends, we didn't really go to church. Um, my, you know, it was just not a thing we did. So I didn't really pray much, but I remember my grandma was always, you know, and she is still to this day, just like a faith figure because she prays the rosary every day. She was praying for me from the, the day I was born and before. And she was always just a good, gentle, loving witness of kindness and, and faith in our family. And I think that planted some deep seeds in me, but growing up, I kind of trampled on those seeds and uh, tried to plant as many weeds as possible, as it would seem. Uh, you know, when I, I got to high school, I I uh, started kind of uh, with a good heart, trying to do good things and be a good person. But I, I kind of fell into the ways of the world, um, even though I went to Catholic schools uh, because I was nominally Catholic. You know, I received the sacraments. I was baptized when I was young. Uh, in fact, I was emergency baptized in Sick Kids Hospital because I had a open heart surgery and I wasn't expected to live. But uh, thankfully, the Lord uh, preserved me. And uh, so I had the sacraments, but they weren't something that was very important to me. High school, I started drifting into a, a very worldly life. I mean, that had already happened really in elementary school, but it got more intense. And then in university, you know, really, especially by the time I was in my first year of university, uh, when I was at Wilfrid Laurier and I was majoring in psychology, I really started to drift, you know, and I think that happens to a lot of young people if they don't have good connections with their faith, with their uh, faith community, then, then it's so easy to get caught up with friends, with the world, uh, with media and secularism, materialism, the party life, and so on. And, uh, you know, in so many ways, I would say those were kind of things that happened to me. And so as a, you know, soon a practical atheist, I remember writing a paper in one of my philosophy uh, courses. And I say all this part just to show you where I was, so I can show the amazing beauty of what God did. I wrote this paper and uh, I wrote why I thought there was no good evidence for God's existence. So it was like, okay, here's why Christians say there's a God. Like they say, oh, intelligent design or like, uh, you know, all the different classic kind of arguments for God. I just like tackled them head on. And I, th I thought I was like some super smart guy. And, uh, and apparently the university thought I was too, because they liked my paper and they invited me to major, like kind of switch to philosophy. But I, uh, you know, I wasn't even sold by my own arguments. There was something deep down that I was still wrestling. And the paper was a manifestation of my wrestling with, is God real or not? Because I knew if this, if this was true, if God was real, and if, he, if it was anything like I had heard vaguely growing up, that he's a loving God, he's a kind God, he's got a plan for me. Um, like 
if that's true, that is the most important thing ever. And if it's not true, then like, let's get free of, of those kind of oppressive ideas. You know, uh, they would be oppressive. If it was false, right? If it was false, we wouldn't want, but it's true. And so I went from being the guy who made fun of my friends for being religious and um, fun of them for just, you know, caring about faith to then kind of having this interest because I, I, um, I'm going to try to sum it up here really quickly. I started dating a, a wonderful young lady. She was going to church every Sunday and she was even going to Eucharistic adoration to pray uh, with the Lord in the Eucharist on Saturday nights. I started going and this kind of launched a new phase of searching for me. I started asking the priest there all my tough questions. And uh, I'm from Kitchener. I started meeting the, the priest there, which actually wasn't far from where I was living. And he really helped me see that faith was reasonable and it wasn't crazy. He responded to my objections intellectually. And I started finding this new peace, this new joy. And, and before I knew it, I kind of got happily sucked into life with God. Like I started talking to him, reading the Bible, going to confession again for the first time in, in like 10 years and feeling this huge weight off my shoulder, started learning how to pray the rosary, just like learning about the saints. And, uh, and basically just got super involved in my parish and, this process continued on and thoughts of the priesthood that I'd had, you know, even when I was an atheist, I had these persistent thoughts of being a priest and it's kind of crazy that I had them, but they just kept coming back. And the closer I got to God, the stronger they got. And basically to, to keep it simple. Now, I, I just kind of realized, Lord, you know, better than me. And if you are calling me to take a look into the priesthood, I want to do what you want me to do. And uh, so I did. And eventually after thinking about whether I might be called to, uh, religious life um, as a Carmelite, maybe. Uh, I felt God was really calling me to go to St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto, study for the Hamilton Diocese, which is where I'm from. And lo and behold, May 4th, 2019, uh, my life was changed forever in an amazing way. And so that is, in a nutshell, how I went from practical atheist to Catholic priest. So aside from the paper at university and becoming a Catholic priest, you just recited a whole lot of my own life story, but starting 18 years after mine did. So no, I, I was just, as you were, you were sharing that, you know, being that being raised nominally Catholic, right. And that the, the faith isn't always at the forefront of, of family life. I'm thinking, so, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Check. That's wrong for me as well. Um, that your grandmother was the faith figure in your family. And it was the same for, for me. It was my grandmama. My, my dad's mom was the, the faith figure, the, the matriarch in the family. And I always remember my mom sharing that she was, you know, washing up after Christmas dinner at my dad's parents in, in Ottawa. And as she was washing dishes in the kitchen, she said, she just kind of rolled her eyes to see how many pictures of Jesus she could see around the kitchen. Right. So there was that faith picture. And then, you know, Maybe later, after we're done recording, if you want to compare uh, open heart surgery scars from sick kids. Oh, wow. Right. So as you were saying, that, now mine was not an emergency baptism and it wasn't necessarily an emergency surgery, but I also had open heart surgery there. Wow. I was I was three years old when I had mine. And I'm sure the surgery was vastly different between 1973 and you know, the late eighties, like almost 20 years later. So like as you, in your, the Catholic schools and falling into the worldly life, whether it was at high school or university and the, and the party life. And 
you know, kind of as you were sharing that, you know, your notion that there's no good evidence for the existence of God and that the university absolutely loved it. They had never heard of a guy named St. Thomas Aquinas, had they? It sure seems they hadn't. If they had, hopefully they would have listened and then they would have said, this guy's arguments aren't that good. We better not grade his paper well. <laughs> yeah. And then that prompting from God, right? And just that that notion of the priesthood was always there. Like I said, I, that wasn't where I was, was being called. But I've had experiences with that as well, where God is sending a message. And our answer back to him is like, God, you don't get it. <laughs> and we go our own way. And God keeps sending that message like, no, Lord, no, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And God keeps sending the message. And as uh, Cardinal Collins liked to say, uh, we'll say to the Lord, you know, no, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. <laughs> but it's when we finally cave into the Lord's calling. And thanks be to God, you finally caved into the Lord's calling. Amen. You know, that we, we fall in that. And you know, we caved into the Lord's calling and we have the most amazing 17-year-old son now amazing. as well. So you know, the, the, it's just so when we do listen to the Lord's calling, and like you said, that calling was always there. It was always in your heart. Mm-hmm. As, it as was you- there when I was a kid and I look back and I see little signs of it. And, uh, you know, I had this one time I was at mass when I was around seven and I saw the priest saying mass and I just felt compelled to say the words of consecration at mass. I just really wanted to say them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just said them out loud in front of everybody. And it, there was just something in me that was so attracted to it. But then that again, got kind of trampled for a while, but then the Lord, and his graciousness brought that back. Yeah. And, you know, the, the seeds are planted and they're watered by the Holy Spirit. And they come to fruition in their own good time. But we have to cooperate with that as well. It's mm-hmm. one thing for the Lord to plant the seeds and to water them. But as the soil, if we're not going to cooperate with that, like you say, we, we plant the weeds that go in. With them. <laughs> yeah, I was planting some weeds. Mm-hmm. That was the evil one. <laughs> So this practical atheism, instead of being nominally Catholic, being more practically atheist, how has that set you up for being a Catholic priest? How has this journey made you a better Catholic priest? Well, I think having gone through that whole journey of going from, this doesn't make any sense, I don't understand why you would be Catholic at all, to then being like, whoa, wait, never mind. It's all true. And it's all amazing. Like, okay, sometimes it's hard, but overall it's amazing. And even the hard parts are for my good. Um, going, going through that um, experientially, like having gone from where I was to where I am, I think it helps me have a lot of understanding and compassion for meeting people. Cause there, you know, to be honest, I think there's just so many people like that. So many people have not, really heard uh, either what the church teaches, what Jesus teaches, why, or they've never seen it just um, presented well or compellingly. And uh, I know that was part of my reason I never came to the faith. And so experientially, I think I understand people better. And intellectually, I had to go through a lot of grappling of like how I know for sure. And so now I have a lot of answers to intellectual questions or objections. And I'm able to give those when people have questions. So yeah, I think I'm just a lot more equipped to help people and to not give them too much, 
but to try to figure out where are they at, how to support and love them and welcome them where they're at. And then just accompany them as they kind of are on their own journey. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's almost a fear that they have when they do approach a Catholic priest and they'll think, you know, how will a Catholic priest understand where I'm coming from? They don't know what this life is all about. They haven't been there. Um, I think especially people who are looking for marriage counseling, they're like, oh, how how does a, a celibate man know what how to cancel know us this? you know what can he know about this but you were saying that like, you were dating a young lady and i know That's i've right. heard your story before that you were seriously contemplating the vocation of marriage at one point absolutely as well. yeah and uh there was two different ladies um very good ladies that i very seriously contemplated marriage with and uh you know that was really what i kind of just assumed would happen um and even when I started feeling called to the priesthood, there was a part of me that was just like, oh, Lord, are you telling me I can't get married? But but what happened was the closer I got to God, the more my heart just started and my desires started to change. And I started to say, Lord, you know what? I actually, you know, as crazy as it might sound to, to many people, I started feeling very attracted and called to celibacy. And I started to kind of treasure it. And I do treasure it now as a priest, you know, it's not, I don't feel it as some heavy burden. I feel free because I'm able to be uh, in so many places. I'm able to minister to so many more people because of the gift uh, of celibacy. I know it's not an easy call for those who receive that call sometimes, but it's honestly, it's a very freeing call. So, but at first I tried to fight it because I didn't feel it as free at first, but that was because of my own weakness and my own um struggles and i would so love to have you come in and talk to the kids about that in in school because that's one of the things i find i have difficulty trying to explain to them that you know for a priest that call to celibacy isn't necessarily a burden a lot of the secular world says that our sexuality is everything Mm -hmm. and so when men like yourself make that decision to leave the world's notion of sexuality behind that we just don't comprehend it. And so especially the, the young adolescents who are constantly bombarded with these messages just goes against everything that, that they've heard. And so the way you are just explaining that is just oh so beautiful. Right. And again, coming back to how this journey helped make, you a better priest from just what you're sharing now i'm going wow like you do have these life experiences and you have prayed and discerned on all these questions so that when people do come the lord has given you the the abilities to talk people through these things absolutely beautiful now that's on the the communal side or on the 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 pastoral side what about as a priest at the altar, your, your struggles through, you know, you say coming to know intellectually and, and wrestling with these great questions of does God even exist? Does that help you also minister at the altar? You know, I've never actually thought about that. I never made that connection before. So it's very interesting. You know, I would say it does in the sense that the certainty that I have of my faith um, by God's grace and, and the help of many people, 
uh, is extremely, <laughs> it's very certain, <laughs> it's very strong. Um, so when I go to say mass or when I do any of the sacraments, I have uh, a, a divine faith. There's a grace. Faith is a grace, a gift from God. And uh, to believe what God has said about a particular thing. And what we know God has said about the mass is that, you know, the saints and angels are there and Jesus is there. And we're, we're there representing the sacrifice of Christ Jesus to the father. And we're experiencing the fruits of that sacrifice that he, he went on that cross for us. We're experiencing his grace. We're receiving him really, truly present in Holy communion. Like those things are so, uh, I'm keenly aware of them when I'm saying mass. And it's just like, I am immersed in this amazing, I want to say grace bubble, like this amazing mm -hmm. experience. And, uh, so I love saying mass and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So this intellectual uh, exploration and appreciation of things really just gets deeper and deeper uh, because these things are so real. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that, but you know, uh, yeah, just that notion of what's actually happening at the altar, at the, the moment of consecration becoming keenly aware of that. And in a lot of ways, I think as Catholics, many of us have lost that sense of the sacred and we don't see that, or we, we can't feel that that's what's happening. And sometimes it takes that losing it or pushing it away to bring it into sharper focus. And mm -hmm. so I, I hope that as we're coming out of this pandemic and, and churches being closed, that, you know, people are more keenly aware of what's been missing. Mm -hmm. I think they are actually, you know, I've seen that so, so often as a priest uh, during the pandemic. So, so many people have reached out to me. It's just kind of a constant drumbeat, so to speak, in the background of my priesthood. Sometimes, sometimes in the foreground, people just saying, Father, this is so hard for me. Uh, I haven't been able to get this or that or do this or that as I normally would. And it's really across, you know, there's been people who struggled, especially kind of um, at the pandemic's worst times, you know, we couldn't, people couldn't go to mass. They couldn't go to, they struggled to find a priest for confession. And, and it was just so heartbreaking and so many people, you know, it was just kind of like a, it was just like a daily experience that people would, would tell me this. And I would, I would do everything I possibly could to, to support them, to listen to them, to connect them. Um, and you could just see it was really, uh, it was not a pleasant experience for people. Yeah. And, and again, so, you know, thanks be to God that you have answered the vocation and, and you're there to do this. Share a little bit about this apostle. You, you are an associate pastor in a parish that has a few different mission churches as well. We have eight missions up here. Uh, so, and there's three of you. And, and there's right. three of you in the, in the parish, as far as there's a pastor and two associate pastors, correct? Correct. So that makes for a very, very busy Sunday. And, right. And, yeah. And lots Sunday, of mileage. Driving around. Yeah. Lots of mileage. Yeah. I, I mean, but I actually, I'm blessed. You know, I like driving and I call people or I pray or I think about things when I'm driving. So, um, but you know what? Winter hasn't come yet. But I'll tell you something. I don't even know if you know this yet, Robert, because this is pretty recent news. I was just um, told that I will be moving to Hamilton on uh, November 24th to go to another parish, St. Margaret Mary Parish, uh, which is kind of East Hamilton on the mountain. 
And uh, so I'm going to end up avoiding the winters here. <laughs> the, the, the worst of the winters. And I've heard, yeah, the winters up in OS Sound can be uh, a, a little treacherous. So that's what they say. Instead, you'll be back down here in the, the, the southern reaches of, of central city. Ontario. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now not only through your, your work in the parishes, but you also minister almost to an, I don't want to say an online flock, but you do have a, an online presence. And uh, a, a bit of a social media presence. So, share a little bit about your online apostolate, the, the FatherMerkley.com. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this little plug, I suppose, uh, if it's helpful for people. Uh, and the and the backstory is really when I was a seminarian, even before being a seminarian, and kind of you know as a young guy, millennial, getting into social media. Once I kind of came into my faith, I was like, well, this is an opportunity. If I use this social media stuff well, um, then this this could help me to evangelize. This could help me to lead people to Jesus or just be a way to just point them in that direction, you know? And uh, so I started doing that even before I joined the seminary. kept it up here and there in the seminary. Sometimes it's kind of waxed and waned depending on how busy I got. And then as a priest, I've really tried to do that. But then again, especially lately, you know, I found the last... Last while, it's been hard for me sometimes just to have time for the social media. So sometimes I've had to kind of hold back a bit, not out of a lack of desire, but out of a lack of time. But, you know, I use like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, my website, like you said, frmerkley.com. And uh, I started posting my homilies. So I record my homilies and I've got a little podcast there. And that's kind of the most cool and up-to-date thing. <laughs> Hopefully they're good. People say they like them, but uh, I always say I'm not the best. I say, go listen to someone else. Go listen to Father Michael Schmitz or someone better than me. But like, if you really want to listen to me, you can go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit of self-depreciation. So yeah, no, I, I get that too. It's like, yeah, okay, do this little podcast, but yeah, here are like 20 others that are so much better. So, but no, your, your homilies are spot on. So Thank you for sharing them. Thank you for getting them out there because it's also nice too, to get all of these different perspectives each week as well. So, yeah. And I occasionally will post if there's some kind of big news, you know, I'll I'll try to, especially if I think people need to hear from a priest's perspective, I'll I'll post here and there as well. But like you're saying, finding the time to do these things, especially, you know, when you're, you're three priests and eight churches and over spread over, hundreds of kilometers uh finding the time to do that because we're still not allowed to be you know typing and driving at the same time right <laughs> so, so finding the time to to squeeze all of that in there and while doing what you're called to do to work in the lord's vineyard is very very difficult yeah there's always something to do over the years and through your studies, whether it was at the seminary or your own discernment process before you even got to the seminary, uh, I'm sure you've done your fair share of reading. Right? I did the best I could. <laughs> so I was wondering if you would like to, to share if there's a quote or two, a, a, something that's inspired you, some, a quote that inspired you to move from practical atheism mm. to the priesthood. That's a good question about a uh, quote that made me go from practical atheism to priesthood. I think it was kind of um, so many 
little things that, that helped me along that journey. But one big thing that helped me through that journey was, uh, I hope it's not going to sound too cliche, but I'm going to say it's a scripture quote. Uh, and it's been like a hallmark for me throughout my whole life. And it's Romans 8, 28. All things work to the good of those who love God. And that has been so, so key for me. All things work to the good of those who love God. All things work to the good of those who believe. Uh, just that idea that in everything that happens to me, God is able to turn it to my good. You know, Even if it's not apparently very good, if it looks like it's a catastrophe, God has promised through his word, he's always going to bring a greater good out of it. For me, that, that is huge because it kind of changes your whole perspective on what happens to you. And, and when I kind of was able to enter into that, that journey towards the priesthood became a lot lighter because I knew all the little things along the way were all helping me grow. Even when they weren't easy, you know, we all face hard times, um, misunderstandings. We face challenges where we wonder, how are we going to get this done? Or, or this is overwhelming, or can I do this? Am I strong enough? Um, and so many things. But then when you say, wait, God allowed this for greater good. Romans 8, 20, all things work to the good of those who love God. That's been huge for me. And then another thing that also helped me, you know, sometimes when we feel overwhelmed, we can say, wow, what, what's worth doing? Uh, G.K. Chesterton, famous Catholic writer, he has this quote, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing imperfectly. <laughs> so, uh, because, you know, we all know that sometimes the perfect becomes the enemy of the good. And if we're too, uh, too much of a perfectionist, then we can end up not doing something at all that we should have done. And, and if we did our best at it, the Lord is so pleased. Those are two, two things that have really marked me. Um, and there's one other thing that has helped me as well. You know, when I was coming back to the faith, I read this book called St. Faustina's Diary. Many of you might have heard of St. Faustina. Wonderful Polish nun died in the 1930s. Jesus appeared to her. She kept a diary at his request and she, she would write down the things that she learned about, about God and the things that he said to her. And uh, Jesus said to her uh, these powerful words that, that were huge for me after a life of worldliness. He said in uh, diary section 848, let all mankind recognize my unfathomable mercy. So, you know, just that idea that God's mercy is, is always there when we need it. That God uh, is always willing to forgive, that there's no sin too big for his mercy. That was really big for me, too. I needed to know that after having been away from God for so long and being tempted to say, well, wow, like, look at all that I maybe should have done and didn't. So God's mercy, knowing he's working everything to my good. And knowing that uh, something, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing imperfectly. Those have been good things for me. Yeah, and that quote from G.K. Chesterton is probably, you know, as you're saying it, I'm thinking, is that one of the raison d'etre of the Pints Infused podcast? You know, if something's worth doing, you might as well do it imperfectly. But we do our best. Um, we, we try to throw that together. But again, that that first quote, you know, from Romans 8, 28, you know, all things work for the good of those who love God. And as you're saying that, I'm going, that's Father Gregory's story. As you, as you were sharing your story earlier, you kept referring to the fact that there was always something in your heart that said, God is there. There was always something in your heart 
that you were searching for God, that you wanted God's love, you wanted God to be there. And so much like you know, St. Augustine, you know, your alma mater, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And you know, as much as you know, there were times you deviated off the path or you didn't follow the call, or like you were saying as well, that you were planting weeds among the grain that the Lord was planting in your heart, he still took all of that and turned it into something good. And he, he used that for the good of your vocation. And he used that, those wranglings with those questions to help make you a better priest. Right. So as you're saying that, I'm going, yeah, wow, yeah, I can see how that fits for Father Gregory because that, that is kind of his life story. And it comes to fruition with that seeing God's unfathomable mercy. Right. Um, as you were saying from, from St. Faustina's diary, I think there's a lot of people out there that would love to return to the faith, would love to return to the church, would love to return to the Lord but they're afraid that they won't be forgiven, right? And, and there's that, that need to share that story of our Lord's mercy, but it's so hard for us to understand because so often as humans, we're not full of mercy. We're merciless. And our society teaches us to be merciless. So to understand God's mercy is, is so very difficult. Mm-hmm. It's something that we all wrestle with. I, I love those, and they just they fit so so well into your story, which you know, I thank you for for taking the time to to share with us this evening, Father. It's been a, an absolute pleasure chatting. How's the Tatra beer been for you? <clears throat> it's nice. It's gold, citrus, caramel yes. hints are very delightful on the palate. So Indiana Jones did not turn you wrong. He did not turn me wrong. Yeah. He found it. He found it good. The sweet stuff. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, Clark, uh, the the bourgeois pig, has done me very well as, as well from from Thornbury. Uh, the pints have been fantastic, but the conversation has been even better. And we can't let this go two or three years again without without sitting down and talking again. This has been absolutely amazing. So I want to, again, thank you for taking the time to come and join us this evening, Father. You're Bye-bye. welcome back anytime. Um, like I said, I know Dennis is going to be so very jealous, and he'll be, he'll be waiting for this episode to come out. So And he definitely wants to, to, to chat with you again. That's great. Invite me back and then I can rap. I'll have a, a rap about pints. That, that, that's right. There, you can have a, a, a pints and pews rap going for oh, us. Oh, man. So many things rhyme with pints and pews and podcast and all sorts of things. Oh, there we go. We can then maybe get some new theme music for, <laughs> for the show. That would be beautiful. <laughs> that would, that would. Have you ever done rap from the pulpit for your homily? I've never like musically rapped from the pulpit but i have rhymed like i've i guess you'd call it spoken word poetry okay i've thought about it but i haven't yet tried it but i've i've done it a lot outside of mass like you know at gatherings with people or people you know they invite me over and they say father we heard you rap and i say okay you ready for it and they go okay and then they say father you gotta have a youtube channel you gotta get online 
you, you got to put this out there. And I go, I don't have time to put it out there, <laughs> but I'm working on it. I'd like to, I think it would be really great. Um, I think it'd be a nice thing. Well, if ever you do get it out there, send us the link. And we'll, we'll make sure we get it out on, on our end. Nice well. views. That's where we got to get it out there. there we... So again, thank you. It has been a pleasure having the conversation in the pint uh, this evening. And just before we wrap up here, I do want to ask one quick favor of our listeners, and that's if they could just take a moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review so that will help others come across the, the podcast more easily and get them in touch with gentlemen like Father Gregory here. While you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line. God willing, we'll be able to chat again soon. And God willing, Dennis will be with us one of these days. But until then, we ask that our listeners remember the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. <laughs>